0: Hi, this is Rob Wiltsy, founder of Schoolshine. We make custom, professional-quality videos for school districts. We want to make sure your district has the very best video content possible and the best content strategy so you can get the most out of your videos. So check out some samples at SchoolShine.org and schedule a call with us today to learn how you can
1: take your videos to the next level. That's SchoolShine.org. Do you wish that creating and sending email newsletters took less time and effort? Would you like more parents to tune in and read your district's newsletter? If so, try MarketVolt, the email newsletter platform tailored for districts like yours. With MarketVolt, it's simple to create newsletters that parents will read. MarketVolt automatically customizes your newsletter to match each parent's interest. With MarketVolt, you can create better newsletters with less headache and less hassle. Visit betterk12newsletter.com to learn what MarketVolt can do for you. That's betterk12newsletter.com, powered by MarketVolt.
2: Hey there, PR experts. Blackboard here. School PR is about telling the story of your students, your teachers, and your school community. From websites and mass notifications to mobile presence and classroom engagement, Blackboard has the tools that you need. And whether you're a one-person shop or part of a bigger communication team, we can help you reach more people more effectively in less time. Thank you for all the work you do in improving education and helping students succeed. And thanks for letting us be a part of it. Now, back to the podcast.
3: Advocating for public education, sharing our stories, and celebrating our schools, students, teachers, and staff. From crisis communications to media relations, social media, and everything in between, we're here to give you the best strategies, tools, and techniques to help educators help our kids. Welcome to the School PR Podcast, brought to you by Blackboard, School Shine, and Market Bolt. Here's your host, Ryan Ferran.
0: Life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning how to dance in the rain. Love that quote. Love that mindset. And that's what we are doing in education. Congratulations to all of you. This has been a remarkable journey so far in the education world, school PR, superintendents, teachers, staff, everyone navigating this. And I think doing an amazing job, just been remarkable seeing some of the Outputs and outcomes of this and the support, meals, social, emotional, mental health, still getting all the academics and just figuring things out as we go. It's been inspiring and impressive to say the least. This is part three, coronavirus communications for schools. I'm trying to stay on top of this and support people here in the school PR podcast. This part three is actually from a CalSpera virtual meeting that we held today. We got big news in California this week. Governor Newsom announced that, well, we may start schools early in the fall, maybe early in July. It's kind of a thought he had. No direction, no guidelines, just kind of this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking out loud. So Calspra being the great group that Calspra is got together and said, let's have, let's put something together and support people as we navigate all of this. So we had a great roundtable today virtually had over 180 people signed up. So we sent out the video to the CalSper listserv, if you're in CalSper, if you wanna see the video, check the listserv, and I just thought I'd put this on audio format so people um, make it easy for them to access as well. There's a lot of great people that gave updates and perspectives, so really appreciate it and, and know what a value it was for people today. So on this podcast and on the virtual meeting we had today, obviously, Everyone concerned about the economy, what it means for our school budgets going forward, a lot of projections, more questions than answers. So we brought on Kevin Gordon from Capital Advisors. He's the founding partner and president, and he was the executive director of CASBO, really involved with CSBA, big advocate for public education. He really has his pulse on the financial outlook, especially with K-12 and great advocate for all of us. So we had him on. He gave a very informative update uh, about the school budget. So you'll hear from him. Kendra Britt comes on too. She's, as you know, the CalSPRA president, now CalSPRA past president, and also the deputy superintendent for the California Department of Education and works directly with our state superintendent of public instruction here in California, Tony Thurman. So she gave a lot of very good information as well. Music Watson, former Calisper president. She's the chief of staff down in San Diego County Office of Education. She wrote this, her and her team, a great plan for schools reopening what to consider. So she goes through some of that. Uh, that resource is also available on the CalSper listserv. I think she put it in the school PR group on Facebook as well. Really appreciate her joining. Dr. David Van our CALSPA superintendent chair, gave his perspective of dealing with all these things. When governor or somebody makes this big announcement, then our communities react, what that process looks like, and some things to consider. So Dr. Van my boss, and the CALSPA superintendent chair joined us. As did Michelle Smith-McDonald. She's been doing some great work about high school graduation ideas, what people are thinking. So she gave us some ideas and perspectives into that, which is very important. And Michelle is the Calsper Bay Area Chair and the Director of Communications for the Alameda County Office of Education. So really good people talking. And we had some time for some questions, so I thought this would be perfect for part three, coronavirus communications for schools. Part two is episode 42. Part one is episode 41 on the school PR podcast, available iTunes, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify as well. Our last episode, 43, was actually a great conversation with Superintendent Dr. Joe Sanfilippo, who has done a remarkable job with storytelling and branding his school district himself he's co-authored several books we talk about coronavirus as well so if you haven't listened to that yet i would highly recommend that and part two and part one of coronavirus communications for schools have a lot of views uh, downloads i should say so if you haven't listened to those very relevant stuff media relations pras dealing with This news cycle, uh, positive stories, getting your stuff out there, hashtags, social media campaigns, what kind of images to use, you get it. But there's a lot in those other two coronavirus communication for schools podcasts. Episode 40, by the way, speaking of Kendra Britt, our awesome CalSPR past president, that's an interview with her talking about her role. uh, Tony Thurman, the state superintendent, how she got that amazing, impressive job, and she's doing a wonderful job at the state and CDE for us and supporting us. So that's episode 40. You can dive in and learn a lot more about Kendra Britt and her insights and perspective. Uh, I would highly recommend that. So without any further delay, here is our discussion and roundtable today. I hope this helps. I got good feedback just we had some great speakers today. So keep sharing those great stories. I hope this helps you as we continue to go forward and we'll look for part four of coronavirus communications in a couple weeks. We're here to help everybody and hope all is well. Please enjoy. And as we get started, just want to thank the Calspra Executive Board for making this happen. Obviously, a trying time right now. We're all navigating this, but a big thanks to Kendra Britt, Jen DiRico, Jessica Hull, Nathan Cabado, Matthew Jennings. Thanks to them for ensuring this happens and supporting all of our awesome members so we appreciate that all right awesome thanks again for everyone being here appreciate it uh i want to start with this quote that i think is very fitting for what we're all going through right now life's not about waiting for the storm to pass it's about learning to dance in the rain i think that just so appropriate for what we're doing We can't wait to educate kids until next year. We're doing a great job with distance learning. This is our seventh week of school closures for most of us. So it's just amazing to think of how far we've come. Time seems like flying by yet going so slow at the same time. So this has just been incredible. Uh, We haven't trained for a pandemic like this, but one thing we've all done in education is really adapt and accommodate for students. And I think we're all doing just an amazing job of that we need to continue doing that. So Calis was glad to be here to continue to support those efforts. Um, And it's been a very busy week once again with uh, Governor Newsom made kind of some statements about possibly reopening schools early. We're still trying to get out of this school year, but now has everyone thinking ahead that uh, we may be opening back up as early as July. So a lot of questions uh, come with that. So we have a great lineup of speakers addressing a lot of that. Uh, One of the big things everyone's curious with, the coronavirus and this uh, pandemic has caused uh, economic hardships, the economy's not doing well. And so what is our budget and what is our funding going to look like next year? So when I got some requests, let's talk a little bit deeper about funding, was thrilled to reach out to Kevin Gordon. Uh, Kevin's with Capital Advisors, founding partner and president. Uh, was the direct executive director of CASBO involved with CSBA. Uh, more importantly, he does a lot of advocating for public education in California, ensuring our students, teachers, staff get proper funding. So he's been a great advocate for us and really has this pulse on the budget and finances throughout California. So thrilled to welcome in Kevin Gordon. So Kevin, thanks so much for being here. We greatly appreciate it. And I guess we'll just start with, uh, Lots of projections out there, questions, not a ton of answers right now, but kind of what you're hearing and what you can tell us about kind of the financial forecast going forward here.
4: Yeah, thank you very much, Ryan. And can you guys hear me okay?
0: Yeah, we got you, great.
4: Um, Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting because when you, if you're trying to pay attention to all the different folks up in Sacramento that have any power, you are gonna come away with a lot of mixed messages. I mean, there is no doubt when we have the economy plummet the way it has. And if you're just sort of a strict observer of Proposition 98 and you're running the formula, um, we don't want you to be jumping off of any buildings because it, it can be really depressing if you simply do that. And it's the reason why back on April 8th, I think is when we first put out an advisory out to all of our clients and amongst our clients is the association of california school administrators and some of the other major statewide groups we work very closely with success uh, of the county soups organization and csba and and we were trying to influence what the nature of some of the communication might be about the budget the very first thing that we could see happening before anybody started kind of doing you know running formulas was to know that because the nuances of Prop 98 would otherwise have us drop in revenue for K-12 or K-14 education in the coming year by 40 cents on every dollar of lost revenue. That It's not very hard to see that the impact would be so draconian as to pretty much conclude that Prop 98 next year will be the enemy of K-14 education if We simply let the powers that be use it as the default for determining what schools will get. It's just too many billions of dollars that would be cut if we use that. So I know in your guys' mind, it's like, well, then what's the alternative? The alternative, what we're saying is, don't do formula based determination of what schools ought to get on the downturn, because it's just too much. What we want them to to do is use really kind of what their conscience tells them to do on what is that minimum baseline level of support that it takes to keep schools open and serving kids at a level that they think is absolutely vital and, and really to replicate the same kind of concern and commitment that they've had on the onset of COVID-19 in this state into the next budget year. And if you noticed legislators and the governor have run around a lot, at the outset of this virus to say, how do we protect to make sure our kids are getting an education somehow? Even though they may not be in the school building, they've been really preoccupied with making sure that there's some quality of education going on rather than nothing at all. And obviously that's the task ahead of us. But as we go into next year, what we've heard in the halls of the Capitol building and even the governor's office are a whole lot of ideas that actually would require the expenditure of money not ideas that save money or kind of give the indication that we ought to be slashing our budgets right now. There's a huge sort of demand for things that would otherwise cost more money. And that's where sort of the conflict comes in. So our, the first message is don't, don't determine what that funding level should be for public schools based on arbitrary formulas that are in Prop 98. And it isn't, it isn't inconsistent on the part of the ed community to say, we want Prop 98 when it does well by schools, but we don't want it when it hurts us. Prop 98 was envisioned to never be a guarantee that would hurt public education, but it's a very real reality that we learned during the downturn in the Great Recession that in really down years, and particularly sustained down years, it, it can be very problematic because it allows, unlike any other part of the state budget, Prop 98 has a down switch on it that allows reductions in education with the idea that they would try to make up for it in subsequent years. We just don't have the room to keep schools open and operating and and sustain a quality of education at a very basic level if they end up doing that kind of a cut. So that's why we've said if you're going to do a budget that's predicated on a formula or an across the board approach to cuts, it means you have no priorities we want the legislature to have priorities and we want kids to be at the top of that priority list. So that's the first message. The second thing that we put out in very early April, it was on the 8th of April, was a message to say that if we are gonna have district budgets that are flat or even reduced, the last thing we need are new costs that are saddled on school districts by the state of California. The example is stirs and PERS increases. We know that over time, those two systems are ratcheting up increases every single year, year over year, on education. The combined impact of the stirs and PERS increase for next year, cost that we have not borne up to this point is just the increase is $1.3 billion. How in the world are we supposed to shoulder that obligation if we are flat funded or even cutting our budgets? and that's a major argument that we're trying to put forth to legislators suspend any increases in STERS and PERS next year the pushback will be from those two systems STERS and PERS, because they're going to say hold on a second we depend on that revenue to keep the system in a trajectory that makes it solvent well you might remember that on the stirs it's a 32-year plan to get that plan solvent our view is it costs the legislature absolutely zero to add a couple of years to the back end of that plan. And yeah, it'll expand the unfunded liability, but something like 68 to 70% of the unfunded liability problems are created by what's happening on the stock market, not by what's going on with regard to our contributions. It is an issue for sure that they should be concerned about, but it's budget dust by comparison to their overall problem that they have and the imperative for making sure that we're keeping schools basically open and trying to exact that kind of a cost increase on schools right now doesn't make sense. The other major message that's being articulated is about, um, about how we fund next year, not on the dollars we put in, but the basis of the, fund. and that is that people are saying, look, at there's a high likelihood that when we get into the fall, going to be a lot of parents who don't want to have their kids, um, you know, they don't want to have their kids uh, uh, coming back to school. If that is the case, um, we are going to have a decline in ADA. So at the same time, we are either flat or we're getting cuts. We would lose more money by the fact that we'd have declining enrollment. So we need to hold harmless on that. So idea is probably the most likely idea is that we ask the state to go with the P2 enrollment counts in the current year as the base for all school districts in the coming year. There are provisions of state law that allow a district to actually get funded predicated on the prior year or the current year, whichever is more. So they, they may determine that that safeguard is enough, but school districts need to know that they can utilize it. That is only, by the way, a one-year safeguard I think most districts are gonna want some kind of protection going into next year that's beyond existing law. And so we're gonna be talking about that. But that's sort of the landscape. And then you guys may have seen that there are some different voices out there talking about the magnitude of the cuts that might be there. There's a San Francisco Chronicle article today by Jill Tucker that was published. I think maybe it was actually yesterday. And it talked about cuts as big as $1,500 to $2,000 per kid. Those kinds of stories are not helpful and they were going off of a pace seminar and some of you may have seen it and um, they called them education experts. And they're people that I haven't recognized around school finance for the number of years that there are a lot of other people who have really been in education finance for that long, but academics who again, I think are just running the prop 98 calculator in a very crude way and coming to that number. And I think it's just serves to scare people. The Department of Finance which we can always count on to give us bad news when they need to give us bad news have themselves been holding back. And I think it's advisable for people to keep their powder dry till we get more numbers. And we're not gonna have really good numbers till July when obviously, because we remo- we removed the tax payment period from April to July. And until they slice over those envelopes and we get a look at exactly what revenue is gonna look like, um, you know, we need to, to hold off a little bit. Definitely districts need to get a handle on spending, and they need to anticipate that, in fact, we will be entering territory that's going to be pretty tricky. Um, and, and there may be the specter of deep cuts, but we've got to lobby this. There is a difference we can make with this legislature over the legislature that we had during the Great Recession. Many of those lawmakers aren't here anymore. And most of the folks in the legislature today have a very, very high value for wanting to do something to protect education and kids as a top priority. The estimates that we've heard by some that are so draconian don't take into account what percentage of the overall reserve that the state currently has that they would help schools with. It doesn't take into account what kind of federal assistance that we might be able to get, which I am expecting we will almost undoubtedly have a a stimulus package that's gonna be aimed at state and or local governments, but for sure on education. Uh, That's happening and underway in Congress. They've been talking about a major package on that. It doesn't take into a lot of variables that I think we need to hold off on to look at instead of inciting panic across the state of really draconian cuts. Districts need to prepare for not getting a COLA and maybe cuts that are deeper than that We've heard from our friends in organized labor that if they don't get the full 2.29% COLA, one union said there will be war. We're happy that our labor partners are being very, very vocal about the consequences of cuts. And that clearly plays into the whole political dynamic in Sacramento. I just don't know that it's very realistic that we can escape some kind of cut level and ultimately in the budgets that we see. Uh, But I do think there are a couple of extremes to this argument. So meanwhile, the legislature and the governor have been up in Sacramento, as I mentioned earlier, talking about things that spend a lot of money. And so when the governor talks about coming back early in July or August, the first issue that he didn't realize is that a whole bunch of school districts come back in August and it's not considered early. And so if he considers that early, then we'll be early by it because they'll be coming back in August. The notion of trying to contemplate coming back earlier than what is already gonna be a steep climb for planning and implementation, for distancing and making sure that we do this right relative to treating that environment that will have contagion uh, exposure to kids is something that is a pretty tall order and has a lot of cost to it. There will be cost to just open the way we're supposed to open in terms of distancing. You know, you take a look at the average size of a classroom and you take a look at what it would take to space kids out with six feet distance. We can only put eight kids in a classroom. That's not gonna happen. It's gonna be higher than that. One of our dilemmas in California is we have the highest class sizes in the nation. And with the highest class sizes in the nation, um, when we try to make a dent for purposes of social distancing, we probably don't even bring it down to what the average class sizes are across the country. So we got a real challenge in how we're going to prune the number of kids that are in a classroom, how we're going to stagger lunch periods so kids are not all on top of each other during meal times. All of these things create challenges that are being grappled with by at least a couple of different task forces. Tony Thurman has one which is doing really good and thoughtful work there. Uh, And by the way, the superintendent's office is doing some very good work across a lot of these issues, and Tony Thurman himself has been incredibly engaged from day one. Uh, I don't know if the guy ever even gets a chance to sleep because uh, he's communicating with so many different people uh, every single day about a lot of these different issues, but there are going to be a lot of outlets for us to get our input across. So I'm going to just stop there and see what kind of questions that you guys might have that I might not have covered.
0: Kevin, appreciate all that. Great insights and information for all all of us to consider. I mean, I'll just start with a quick question. If people have a question, we'll get to as many as you can, just utilize the comment section. And I think Kendra is in here and we'll hear from her next, speaking of uh, superintendent's office. But knowing what you know and what you said and the myriad of factors and costs that it would take to not only open up on time as scheduled in the fall, as scheduled, what is the likelihood that a possibility of opening up somewhat early coming to fruition at all?
4: I think really what, I mean, we've talked to the administration about this, Uh, you know, the governor was doing what he's done a few times now, and everybody's heard this, and that he's thinking out loud, and it didn't give very many people a heads up about this. And in trying to be as charitable as we can, I, I think it's neat that the governor really tries to communicate with the public in a way that sounds like he's having a conversation with his neighbor, or as he's sometimes referred to, having these candid conversations with his wife and his kids about what's going on. The problem is, is getting him to understand that when the governor of the state of California says we would like to try to get schools, schools to open in July, what people hear is something much bigger and it and it telegraphs a message to communities and to parents an expectation that now school districts have to shoulder because he's I- increased what they should anticipate locally. And then when you're the school district that says uh, that's not going to happen, your community and your parents think there's something wrong with you that you're not able to deliver that. While his heart is in the right place and we get it, you know, and what we've heard is what he really meant to say was what we'd love to shoot for is where it can be done for schools to open as early as July if we can get ahead of that to try to deal with the learning loss that we've experienced but what we've got yep. is that's a whole lot different than what he said and if you take a look at what he said which is we want to open schools plural meaning all of your schools when he's talking to a statewide audience it just sends a different message I think it's gonna be very difficult for any school district to do this. But there are pockets in California of school districts that are just being, they're really ahead of the curve. They're doing some really innovative stuff. Um, and it's gonna be, you know, you're know you gonna predict it, it's by zip code. Some of the most influent school districts in the state are just in a better shape than others. They've got one-to-one and, 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 and it's not just zip code, but some school districts, the way they've made their investments they're just in a better position to be able to do something like that. But the overwhelming majority of school districts are simply not gonna be able to do this. And again, it's, it's a noble thing to say, can we explore this and, and see what can be done? And I get Linda Darling-Hammond's comments, which are that whether we come back early or we start on time, rethinking how we do that start, obviously with an eye toward what the money is that's involved, so that potentially students get to start back with some of the, particularly in elementary school with the teachers they had, and then you transition them to whatever that next step is immediately might make some sense, but it's all gonna be, I, I think the governor is not going to do any kind of state top-down mandate. He's gonna continue suggesting these things that'll create pressure on districts to try to do something along the lines of what he's thinking. But like he has done already, If you notice, there's a lot that he seems to do, but it's done in a way that's not a mandate. I mean, there are a lot of districts that wished he would have mandated closure back when he was talking about closure, because it just would have made it easier for everybody to say they're doing it. We all got to do it. The governor's called for it, but that decision was left individually, and I think he's going to continue to make suggestions that basically put the burden on you locally to make those kinds of calls.
0: Yeah, this, this actually reminds me exactly of what you were talking about a month ago, Kevin, when it was kind of alluded to that we may be closing schools for the rest of the year, but not an affirmative decision was made. And then Tony Thurman had to come out again. So it reminds me exactly of that situation. And one of the things we did as a school district to help with that in one of our parent communications, just for the information for everybody, is we kind of went into how this pandemic we're getting all this information real time and state officials sometimes are thinking aloud because they want to, you know, be transparent. If they're having a conversation with the wife and kids, they want to share that with the rest of everybody, but it doesn't come with implementation and guidelines. So we were explicit to parents to let them know that we're hearing this stuff sometimes just the same moment you are and kind of explain that process. It's not always pretty. And we're also wondering, we have many questions just like you do. So I think that helped us for this actually this week, we did that with the school closures, not really knowing that couple of day period. So now that we get to this and there's a lot of questions, they can reflect back and say, yeah, I remember the paragraph about how fast this news cycle is, how sometimes, you know, in these daily press conferences, you're gonna say something, have a thought, there's not much implementation. Or guidelines or directive so it makes it difficult so that's one strategy um, that we employ that hopefully helps going down the road um, so Kevin you talked about last question for you and thank you so much for your time and insights this is wonderful we have a lot of CBOs on too that I know that are interested <clears throat> um, is there something with, with his kind of you mentioned he talks to Tony Thurman and we're gonna hear from Kendra in a second um, but but the thought process is there something in the works potentially with potential stimulus or other money that may be coming that he knows that we don't know or, and any other insights into his kind of thought process as to when he does these press conferences and what he's thinking, if there's something else to it that maybe we all don't realize that you're in tune with Sacramento that may know. He,
4: he did reference his conversations, which he's having frequently with the speaker. They're very, very close, Speaker Pelosi. He has a good relationship with Kevin McCarthy. And you can imagine in one state to have two members of Congress that are the, the, that are the most powerful members of the House of Representatives in each respective party is quite an advantage in terms of kind of having a beat on things. I think he is anticipating a, a shot of federal uh, stimulus help that's going to help out the state budget. I think he's anticipating that, but I don't think he, he has any guarantees. And you guys have noticed his behavior when it comes to Donald Trump. And, and I think it's extremely smart that the approach that he's taken, and he's gonna get a lot more traction with these different powerful entities. And it, honestly, it may be our only hope is the federal infusion of money because they, de- they don't have a problem with running a deficit. They can do that. And I mean, if you think about a trillion dollar package that they've spent uh, this $2 trillion package that they spent getting money into the pockets of average folks. And you know, you know there are people out there who haven't gotten their money yet. It just seems like it's pretty slow to get there. Imagine that uh, a, a package of not even close to that magnitude that went out to states would go a long way. I mean, in California alone, if our problem is a 35 to $50 billion problem in a fiscal year, Well, $50 billion is state state of California, one of the biggest states in the country. If you tried to do aid packages, you wouldn't come close to the trillions of dollars that they're spending back in Washington DC to do a really decent package that could help states enormously. So I really think that is something that's gonna be in the offing because both Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy both know what the consequences are to the state and a lot of vital services. They're gonna be lobbied more heavily by our state legislative leaders to make things happen in the governor, then they will be by us. But we have to we have to be part of that argument. So, but nobody knows anything for sure. And the governor, you might have noticed, mentioned today, which I was a little disappointed, that that the 355 million dollars that he has in the stimulus package to go out to local districts, um, he's going to wait and and introduce that as part of his May revision package. So he's going to use that is part of the money that he uses in announcing that. Instead of getting that out the door into LEAs as quickly as, as he could, he's going to hold on to it and make it part of his May revision and his overall budget package. The, the thing that concerns me about it is if he announces it with his May revision and it's pulled together with the rest of his budget, meaning that he's got to get legislative approval, uh, that means we wait until June 15th. That's a long time to wait for that money that's supposed to get to LEAs sooner than later. Uh, But what he may do is wait till the 14th of May when he does his May revision and announce that he's actually gonna get that out the door right away because he actually has the authority with the state superintendent to let that money flow. Uh, I don't believe that he's gotta get legislative action to have that $355 million actually go out to local districts. So we'll end up seeing what happens. And the last thing I wanted to mention you mentioned that Kendra is going to be on the call, is that one of the obligations that has been handed, not voluntarily to the state superintendent, has been to really do a lot of cleanup on the stuff that gets set up in Sacramento, is that what the Department of Education has been handed is sort of the obligation, and they've been doing a great job of it, is they get handed these comments, and then they try to make some rational sense out of where you know, letting the governor know that, okay, we understand where you want to go. Now let's go get some input and put some information behind your idea so it can inform the decision-making that needs to happen in Sacramento so they actually know whether or not some of these things are really doable or not. That has been extremely helpful. And he has a direct pipeline to so many people in the education community across the state that he has built one superintendent and one CBO at a time since, and it's been a really quick ramp up since, uh, since his coming into office. So he's got that burden, he's doing a really good job with it and we're really counting on him to continue to play that role.
0: Kevin, thank you so much for your time, your insights. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more, especially on the Tony Thurman and the CDE and what, what a great job they're doing and kind of uh, rationalizing what the governor says and putting that into real terms. Again, thanks, thanks for everything. Thanks for coming in and thanks for advocating for all of us, for finances, for our students, our teachers and staff. It's wonderful work you're doing. We all appreciate it. Good to be with you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. All right, that was Kevin Gordon, great stuff from him. And then as mentioned, uh, the great transition into Kendra, our CALSPA president who is with us. She's also the deputy superintendent for the California Department of Education and obviously works directly with our state superintendent of public instruction, Tony Thurman. It's been a busy week for her. Kendra, I believe you are here. Thank you so much for being here. I know it's uh, a lot going on. And as uh, Kevin was talking about, you guys put out a lot Clarifying messages and communications. Um, if you want to expand on that and the latest from the CDE. All right. Kendra may be having some issues getting in with her audio and connecting to the call. I uh, know she's very busy, but. You'll notice after Newsom's statements earlier in the week, the CDE did a great job with the press release right after adding some of that uh, kind of messaging and clarification onto what's happening, and what they're working on. Then he was on CNN later that night with Don Lemon trying to, you know, calm everything and let people know. Um, so it was interesting. And we can get her on, we'll have her uh, – give an update as well. In the meantime, we will go down the line. Uh, speaking of reopening schools, Music Watson has done just a remarkable job. She's a former CalSPA president and the chief of staff for the San Diego County Office of Education. She put together and she put it on the listserv already so you can go back and check for a really comprehensive plan with assumptions and considerations as we all get to get set to reopen whenever that may be. and. As we know there's so many considerations with families they may not think it's safe to come back what are we going to do with that training for new staff with all these new protocols social distancing economic impacts what are certain factors to consider the social emotional mental health support all that very comprehensive document so music thank you so much for putting that together sending it out and then providing us with some Kind of insight into that and what we should all be looking for as we look to reopen schools
5: yeah thanks for having me today hi everybody um, if you haven't seen it you can find the recovery plan assumption recommendations at Um but the first caution is you should have a cocktail handy when you are looking at it um, I got to tell you, on my SDCOE hat, I'm like, yeah, this is all the right stuff; it makes sense. And when I put on my parent hat, I think, holy cow, how are we going to do this? Um, because it's a lot. It's it's a lot to think through. Um, so, really briefly, um, we've got different planning assumptions in categories like public health and school operations, uh, economic impact, social emotional impact, community perception. For us, one of the things that was really important was identifying some criteria for uh, when it would be safe to resume normal operations. And I have to give credit to Nathan Cavedo and Merced um, because I saw something that they put together and we use that as a jumping off point. So one of the big decision points that we made that I just wanna point out is that for us, it'll be safe for schools to return to normal operations when the state stay at home order has been lifted when the number of confirmed COVID cases in the county has remained constant or declined for 28 consecutive days, when the directive to physically distance has been removed, and when restrictions on group gatherings have been lifted. So that's obviously a lot. Um, It's more detailed than what we're seeing in the governor's plans, Uh, and even that is subject to change. We're having a conversation right now with public health around that 28 consecutive day piece. So we've made some assumptions uh, that it would be 12 to 18 months for the vaccine, that we'd have a second wave of infections, and that at some point, and I think it will be soon, that the stay at home order will be lifted, but school operations may still need to be modified because at the local level, there might be restrictions on group size, Um, There might be questions around testing and screening availability. There might be rules still about social distancing. Kevin uh, referred to some of these. So in the middle of all of this, our overall situation is that the state economy is not doing so well. The national economy is not doing so well. School funding is going to be down. Enrollment will be down. Attendance will be down because if we have kids, um, especially who are exposed to COVID-19 and need to self-isolate for 14 days, well, Guess what? That's an instance that we don't get any ADA for. Um, And all of that, plus your costs are going up because now you're buying thermometers for screening students and employees before they come to work. And now you're buying masks for people. And now you have to lease extra space so that you have enough room for students. Um, And there's a tremendous strain on students and staff. So those were kind of the assumptions that we used in building up to our recommendations. I'll highlight a few of the recommendations. Obviously you can all read, you can look at the plan yourself, which we continue to make updates to all the time. So if you've looked at it, you might want to look at it again because we have um, made some changes. So one of them is that districts should make contingency plans for graduation promotion ceremonies. I know we'll have a presentation on that later. Um, We actually put in our plan that the start of the 2020-21 school year might need to be delayed, which makes it that much more fun than when the governor comes out and says, everybody should open in July. We have school districts here that open July 20, that are slated to open July 20. uh, And our advice to them based on our local public health requirements has been, you maybe should think about pushing that back. We don't know. And so All of our work has been built around the idea that districts and schools should be prepared for everything. we assume and recommend that districts and schools prepare to restore operation in phases Um, thinking through especially some of the considerations for special student populations like students who are experiencing homelessness or medically fragile students English learners some of our more vulnerable communities that we do know will have experienced learning loss just because of the craziness of the pandemic Um, Our recommendations include that districts should consider a continuum of distance learning options. So we know that some families are not going to want to come back because, as it turns out, distance learning works really well for their family. Um, My kid is one of those. I'm not sure we're going to go back to traditional school. She's doing really well, so why would we? Um, But if our local school district had a really robust independent study program or a blended program, I would be happy to keep her enrolled there and there's going to be other families like that as well and so you should be thinking through how do you develop one of those programs so that you can retain those students Um, one option might be learning centers so we've got some districts that have learning centers but that's a great way to bring students to a location to have some school experience um, without necessarily cramming them in 500 or a thousand or three thousand on one campus Um, We could also think about exploring synchronous distance learning. You get ADA for that. So that's the idea of um, a teacher broadcasting her lessons and kids taking that in, in real-time. And then there's kind of the continuum of strategies if social or physical distancing is still required. So we've talked a lot about schools thinking through, how do you blend classroom and distance learning? So if you can't have everybody in one place, do you need to think about having 50% of kids on campus Mondays and Wednesdays and 50% on campus Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then doing distance learning the other days? Um, You could think about about 20% of kids on campus on one day and distance learning the rest of the week and rotating through 20% at a time. Uh, And at any point, you still should be thinking about things like staggered starts, multiple recess or lunch periods, again, so you're not congregating everybody together at the same time multiple meal distribution points so if you've got a school where everybody goes to a cafeteria and then eats together in a lunch arbor but you can't have kids closer than six feet apart you might need to think through an alternate site where some of your students can go pick up their food and sit and eat and others can go to another place for high schools it might be block schedules and you need to do all of this thinking for your before and after school programs as well as visual and performing arts and athletics programs as well uh, and then the other thing that really blew my mind when i stopped to think about it was buses. so for you for districts and charters that have school bus programs your program is built around the idea that you you know route your school transportation efficiently you get the kids they get to school they're all there you've got 80 kids on a bus. Well, with social distancing, you can't have 80 kids on a bus. You might only be able to have 30 kids on a bus. You might only be able to have 40 kids on a bus. And if you're putting them on the bus, you might need to take their temperature before they get on the bus because you don't want them at school and you don't want them on the bus exposing other kids potentially to COVID. And so then you get into questions around how do you do that? And how do you, if you're a district that also provides transportation to neighboring districts, how do you do that? Uh, has revenue and staffing implications. And then you have to do all of the work to support all of those things. So writing policies, engaging in negotiations, um, thinking through work assignments for high-risk employees and making changes there, Uh, meals. So if your students are only coming two days a week but they're dependent upon school for nutrition and you need to also think about changing your lunch program so that those kids can get food to take home for the whole week. All of the communication supports to communicate whatever changes you're making or considering to your internal audiences and your external audience and then also a process for engaging students and parents to get their voice and the way I've been thinking about it is it's like LCAP on steroids so all of the parent engagement all of the student engagement especially if you are in in a high school district all of those pieces and then I just wanna uh, share two other things. One is we've also recommended that the districts think through a public health campaign around vaccines and immunization requirements. So we know right now that families are not necessarily going to the doctor for routine appointments because they're concerned about exposure to COVID. So when it comes time to come back to school and there's no indication that immunization uh, requirements will be waived or changed, unless there's a COVID um, vaccine, in which case that might be added to immunization requirements, Um, we're gonna run into trouble and we're gonna have families that are wanting to enroll their kids potentially, but can't because they don't have the immunizations. So we need to do some work around that piece And then finally, legislative advocacy, and Kevin talked about this some, but um, we're thinking about things like, do we need to take another bite at the apple to try to collect ADA for excused absences? Do we need to ask for a reduction in instructional minutes? What about funding for summer, whether that's summer school or now opening early? Um, or other pieces that we would like to see some additional flexibility on. So in San Diego County, at least, we've convened a work group of stakeholders who are going through all of our recommendations to identify things that they need, and then we're creating pieces around those. So um, the graduation requirements, um, sorry, the graduation ceremonies, for example, we've got the great document from Michelle, so we didn't have to create that, we're sharing that with districts. but we know that they're gonna need support in communicating about the school year potentially being expanded um, or being delayed. And so my team's working on things like that. Uh, We've got transportation people who are thinking through those pieces and nurses and facilities folks and and all of those. So um, our next step is to create materials that support these Everything will get posted on the covid-19.sdcoe.net website. So if you ever want to see or access any of it, you can. We're trying to be really transparent about this. And so as an example, Not only do we have our recovery plans, assumptions and recommendations there, but we've got a recording of the work group meeting. We have a transcript of the work group meeting. We have the PowerPoint presentation. So if this is something that you're interested in really digging deep into, you can go and look at any of that. And we'll continue to add as the situation unfolds. So that's the recovery assumptions and recommendations in a nutshell.
0: Music, thank you so much, greatly appreciate it. Thanks for always sharing that and the other uh, resources that you provide from San Diego that's just so valuable to us. You are amazing and the bright minds in school PR. So thank you so much. And uh, Kelly was saying that the uh, documents also in the CalSper Google Drive. So it's accessible there on the listserv. So music, great work. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it.
5: It's our whole team. It's not just me. We've got a great group of people. So thank you.
0: All right. I won't tell them you took all the, all the credit for it. So don't worry. <laughs> Just kidding. Thanks, music. Tell them we we appreciate all their work as well. All right. She likes to make a dramatic entrance because she is awesome as well. Kendra Britt, our Kalispera president and the deputy superintendent at the CDE, working directly with Tony Thurman. Uh, Kendra, busy week. We heard from Kevin as well. Welcome. I hope we can hear you. And how are you?
3: How can you hear me now?
0: we can hear you now just like just like the commercials
3: (laughs) great uh i'm not trying to make a dramatic entrance you should have seen me the last half an hour going i'm right here and you couldn't hear me so i'm sorry uh but by dramatic if you mean roots this is the reality of our situation then yes so um i'd love to give a shout out to music um i'm actually glad i got to follow her although i'm ready to pass out after what she said because there are so many layers to what we are, we, you know, we're exhausted and, and I think we're just ramping up. So um, it's kind of wild. Um, but I will say that that document she she provided is being used statewide as a model right now. I've, I've heard it come up in conversations here. So I just want to commend her as a fellow Calisbriton for the incredible work she's doing that um, that we're all kind of using as a model for for what the fall looks like or just schools reopening in general. I'd like to echo Kevin's sentiments earlier that my boss does not sleep, I'm convinced. So um, I'm just gonna give a quick overview of what we've been up to. Most of you are, are pretty aware of that. Um, I There's so much, I, I hope I I hope I hope give it enough justice because I know we're, we're busy right. as everybody else is. Um, one thing that's been kind of wild is our social media analytics. We're communicators, that's the way we communicate, especially now in a virtual Society, so um, we're experiencing some analytic numbers that I've never seen before that we'll never see again. We're talking like 3,000% in likes and engagement. So that's been kind of wild, you know, millions of impressions. So we're really using that platform right now. Um, we're, we're posting webinars. Thursdays are kind of our big webinar days. So there were two today, one on CTE this morning. There's one that's gonna happen, happening now. Um, using facebook live as a way to provide it to the to the public as soon as possible um, i will say um, we've been working on a lot of different task force based on the needs as they arise but one of them that existed before COVID 19 was the digital divide so um, it's really been uncovered in this situation we have an equity issue for students who do not have access to either a device or connectivity even further than that is if you have one device in a household but there's three children in school how do you manage that so um, we've been surveying districts along with partners we've really been utilizing um access and especially ssda the small school districts association to reach out to the rural and small districts especially to figure out how to close this digital divide and um, we've received over 1100 surveys our staff here is actually calling every single submission um, to verify and validate because even if they say, Hey, we need 20 hotspots and we say, okay, we have 20 hotspots for you, but then there's no connectivity that's even available. There's no infrastructure. Um, For example, when the governor made the announcement of the hundred thousand hotspots, they're T-Mobile. So although that was a, it's wonderful and and we're going to find use for them somewhere, but T-Mobile isn't everywhere. Um, So if, having some disconnect in, in the ways that we can get these um, services out to our students. Um, our number grows weekly, and there are over 400,000 students without devices right now, that's our reality. So we've been really focused on that. Our superintendent started a Closing the Digital Divide Task Force with Senator Connie Leyva, and uh, as the co-chair, and then other legislators are on there, folks that have been fighting this fight for years. And what I love about them is their tenacity. They're taking the ISPs, the internet service providers, um, they're they're pushing them to do something more than just continue to say, oh, well we offer a discounted rate. And if you just give us your social security number, we'll get you an account. So um, the next task force meeting is Monday and uh, the ISPs will be back on as well as some tech companies that although they've been um, generous in donations, we, we feel like they've got more in their pocket. So we're going after them. And um, beyond that, we have an achievement gap and loss of learning task force with assembly member Shirley Weber and Toby Boyd, president of CTA. Um, that's going on. We have a stakeholder group every Monday. So um, as Kevin kind of mentioned, as we're getting these announcements from the governor, then CDE um, has the opportunity then to make sure that the voices from the people actually, the boots on the ground are being held um, uh, and, and brought into these conversations as we try to inform how we can actually make this happen. So um, working with the governor's office and then also then working with our stakeholders, our educational partners, our labor union leaders, um, you know, parent groups and um, many others, um, just trying to make sure we have those voices. Some of your superintendents are on those task forces. So um, really helping us get that that, um, that lens, um, you know, Right now, he's also started a reopening schools task force within folks within the state, but he's also started one nationwide with all the chiefs of states. Um, They have different names across the state. They're not always called the state superintendent, but um, he had his first call this morning about what that looks like to see where we can lift up best practices nationwide, what that's looking like. Kind of a wild time if you ever stop to pause and think what we're in um this situation where it's not isolated to an area it's not isolated to california it's not even isolated to this country so um very interesting to be in that situation as you know we've been pumping out webinars we've been trying to provide support um both for mental health services for both the people doing the work at home with students um, the teachers and then the students themselves we've been doing a lot of special ed focused on distance learning that's been a huge Challenge is how we um, provide a quality education to our students with disabilities, Um, over 750,000 of them across the state. So a big number of students we need to make sure are part of that equity lens as well. Um, Distance learning, of course, we did a parent support circle yesterday with the Surgeon General, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, which was wonderful. Um, It was kind of like parent to parent, like I see you, and this is tough, and how can we help you? How can we support you? So um, that was great. Right now, just kind of a recap. Um, you know, our focus is really the digital divide. We're just trying to get those devices met. As you can imagine, um, they, there aren't devices, even if we get billions of dollars from funders, which we've been asking. We've been calling all the billionaires. Trust me, um, cold calling them. First partners helping. Uh, Linda Darling-Hammond from the state board's been helping. They're calling all their their friends, and uh, there just aren't devices. You know, this is a worldwide shortage right now in devices. So we're trying to procure those, find where there's inventory, um, what we can do. Um, now obviously focusing on reopening, what that looks like and how we can do it. Safety has to be the priority concern and, um, you know, how we can do this and, and what that even looks like, you know, we've talked about, you know, funding issues and then, you know, what is being looked at is, you know, potentially going to cost more. So how do you, how do you balance that out? Um, And then as many people may or may not know, we run state funded childcare. So we've been, that's been its own separate um, um, unique set of challenges as far as essential workers and providing childcare to those folks, getting PPE. There's a supply chain shortage um, there for uh, the protective equipment. And um, so we've been busy as you all have. And uh, there's a lot of task forces. There's gonna be more. And uh, I'd like to just say this is this is kind of fun to do. Uh, this is my last official day as president of CALSPRA. So um, it's just nice to connect with all of you, um, even via virtually, um, and just to say thank you for all that you're doing and to keep up the great work.
0: Thank you, Kendra. And once a CALSPRA president, always a CALSPRA president. And there's many on here, so uh, we appreciate all them and your work. Uh, thank you so much for that. And just going back to the uh, a lot of questions about reopening and what the governor said and what you guys put out from CDE any advice on kind of messaging because you know once he makes Newsom makes that suggestion that thought then we all get inundated with the questions. so any guidance you can help us with maybe some talking points how to answer that and uh, how to approach that
3: One day we're going to write a book about the talking points that we said, and the ones we wanted to say, you know, if we really were a transparent California, I'd have different talking points from Tuesday to now. But, um, what I would recommend people say, you know, we're just looking at this from the perspective of how can we keep safety at the forefront and what does this really look like numbers wise? Because if you start peeling back the layers, it's overwhelming. You think about the AM PM shift, scenario so does that mean you have two sets of teachers we're in a teacher shortage okay next um we look at staggering school schedules maybe it's a combination blended learning um where students are going a couple days a week and they're working distance learning a couple days a week but you know that becomes a child care workforce issue so there's there's a lot to unpack here and um i would just say that we're working really hard on all those scenarios crunching numbers looking at what that looks like um, but what I think the important thing is, is that we're not making this decision without having our our schools and school leaders weigh in on that because we can't make this decision up in Sacramento without understanding the challenges you're actually facing. Um, you know, like I said, listening to music kind of lay out what they're looking at. Um, you know, It's hard to digest, but that's the reality. And those are the things that have to come under consideration um, as we kind of look at what's feasible um, for reopening. So our, our biggest thing is, how can we do it? And what does it look like if we can? It's it's an if right now, um, you know, and and it's April, it's going to be May. And so it's, obvious. wait, wait, can we do it? It's going to be May. We have to do that. We have to stop and have fun. But um, anyways, just really trying to think about that the only way that this can be done is if it's safe. And that's the priority for us is also, you know, taking into consideration um, what our public health officials are guiding us on, because that's where the decision um, should lie for reopening schools at the recommendation that it's safe for our students and our staff and our families to return.
0: Kendra, thank you. Tell Daniel, thank you, your entire team at CDE. We appreciate you. I know you guys have had a very busy week. It's been amazing the work you've done, the support you've given us. It is, as we talked about, things are happening so fast in real time. We're all forced to react, but, how quickly you guys move to support us in our reaction mode is just tremendously appreciated. It's amazing work. So thank you. One final quick question for you. And just, is there anything we should be looking forward to um, or any resources coming out and you guys mentioned all the great teleconferences you're doing support, you're adding anything that we should be thinking of or keep an eye out uh, from CDE in the coming days and weeks.
3: I think, you know, just continued guidance and and that's, Typically driven by the input and feedback we get from from you guys out there in the field. So please, can you know? And I love the Casper listserv. I, I, you know, it's been helpful to drive those conversations up here. Um, You know, we heard a lot of feedback. That's a nice way of saying um, we've heard a lot since since Tuesday. And so, um, but that's what we need, you know. And that's where you want to know that your voices are heard. So continue, continue continue those lines of communication with us and let us know. Um, I know we're looking at even summer school, um, after school, and uh, virtual academies and just different ways that students can continue learning um, through the summer. And I think it's careful to note, you know, we're talking about loss of learning. We even changed it from learning loss to loss of learning because we're sympathetic that there were teachers out there who really took Tuesday's message as well then why am I working so hard right now if it's just all for nothing and, and you're gonna call this a loss and so it's it's hard you know as communicators how do you wordsmith something that shows that you know we've had a pause in education or a slowdown but um, but it's not a loss but for some it is and so how do you how do you navigate all of that so you know looking at opportunities to continue learning over the summer virtually, um, and just pad resources for students so that it doesn't feel like loss. Teachers do not feel like this is, um, you know, they're working 12, 14 hours to, to make this go and, and they're so appreciated. So I wanna make sure we all know, we're aware next week is teacher appreciation week. So let's take some time to acknowledge those folks who have just been working tirelessly, showing in tremendous resilience um, uh, through this this transition.
0: Very well said. Yeah, we've heard loss of learning, and you know some students neglected, and you know while it's different right now, there are so many things like you said uh, to highlight that our teachers are doing, our educators are going above and beyond, accommodating right now, learning on the fly. So, sharing those stories and getting them out there because teachers are doing. Such great work. And I think parents realize uh, they're getting a reminder of how important teachers and schools are right now. Uh, so that's great, but mm-hmm. uh, it's a good reminder for sure. Thank you, Kendra, you are amazing. Thank you, thank, thank you. you, thank you. Appreciate it. Madam President, for one more day. One more day. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Kendra. Um, our, next, we're gonna go to Dr. Vanazdal. He is our CALSPRA superintendent chair, also our KDA K- Unified superintendent happens to be my boss. Even if he wasn't, I would still tell you how great of a leader he is and just how amazing he has done uh, throughout this pandemic. It's just been remarkable to work with somebody that has the leadership ability of him, willing to make the tough decisions, but do so so thoughtfully, thinking about our teachers, students, and staff. So I am honored to work with Dr. Banalstal and so glad he's been a part of CALSPRA uh, the past year or so, helping us and getting his message out there. So Dr. Van Alistel, it's been a great conversation so far and there are several superintendents on here. There is a lot of pressure uh, on superintendents with real-time information coming out. Uh, We get asked after the governor says something or an idea gets proposed and then the pressure turns immediately to superintendents. I know you've done a great job with it, but it's not easy. Any insights into how we can deal with that as school PR folks and fellow superintendents as we all try to navigate in real time? What could stunning professional quality videos do for your school district's PR and communications? Find out how SchoolShine's professional video team can partner with your district at SchoolShine.org. This podcast is also brought to you by MarketVolt Email Newsletter Solutions, providing industry-leading email newsletter solutions that better connect over 800,000 parents, staff, and community members with their school districts learn more about market bolt at better k12
2: newsletter.com blackboard believes in the power of good communication in helping students succeed and is a proud sponsor of school pr with ryan Ferran. blackboard education's partner in change now back to the podcast
6: sure thank you ryan for having me on and uh Kendra, thank you for your uh, leadership of CALSPRA this past year and music for the updates. Every time I hear you guys speak, I walk away with uh, new things I should be thinking about that I haven't. So uh, before I answer that, Ryan, I I quickly just want to say a few things about um, your roles. Uh, So many of you on here as the public relations and and communications, you know, listen, um, with the loss of normalcy and the loss of economic stability, the loss of connections information and communications is absolutely the lifeline right now for so many of our families and our staff and so i just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all that work that you're doing Um, those connections between the school and home right now uh, mean everything. And, and that information is power. So um, without your work, uh, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing. In fact, I'm, I'm still waiting for that, that Google Hangout filter where I can put superhero capes on all of you uh, mm-hmm. as I'm looking at you because you truly are uh, in the on those front lines doing that work. So thank you. Um, Ryan, thanks for asking that question. And it's, it's already been articulated. Kevin uh, spoke a little bit about it but it wasn't that long ago where as a superintendent i could depend on a very formal if not sometimes informal protocol for how communication would come down from the state and you could depend on the fact that you never were caught off surprise you know surprise and um you know that's all out the window now and and it's just the way where we are it's our new reality from the from the on the national level and the state level and you know, I used to call it a, a formal process, and now I would refer to it as spontaneously drinking out of a fire hose. Uh, that's, what it, that's what it feels like. You don't know when it's going to happen, and when it does, the information is overload, and it's, it's hard to be able to digest it all at, at one time. So I think we have to educate first our families. As we're communicating this information, and Ryan alluded to this, we also have to take the time to slowly re-educate them on how the, the information is flowing down um, from the fed, federal government and the state. And that we need time uh, to think about what those guidelines and directions are, and then make the best locally controlled decisions that we can. And that nuance of when people see the governor say it on TV, that it is a directive or you know, it's absolutely gonna happen is what I'm hearing right now. So I think it's our responsibility to begin to re-educate the community on that process. Um, that just because you hear it on TV doesn't mean it's it's going to be reality. So I th- what I would ask uh, and encourage you to do, I think in your role, and Ryan provides this for me, and, I, and I'll thank him publicly, is that uh, we get the pressure, you know, we're getting those emails when we're speaking publicly, you know, you just get, you know, you get the people that are just, they have the emotions, they're frustrated, they're, they're full of anxiety, they're confused. And and we get the brunt of that. And what that does is it, it makes you want to act without all the information. And, And what that equates to a lot of times is premature, bad decisions. And um, but it, it's normal and natural because you're getting the pressure. Your board's looking at you like, why aren't you responding? You know, we're getting X number of emails. You need to get out in front of this. We need to have the courage um, and the reminder that sometimes the best leadership and courageous leadership is not acting. And, and ensuring that we have and, and giving ourselves and the people around us, uh, our executive teams, our boards, the space and that grace to really sit back and do that work that may have not done been done where it should have um, and really think through and talk to our constituents and talk to our unions and figure out what this is gonna look like and how do we do it so it is the best decision for our kids ultimately. Um, and, and that leads me to the second thing that I, I wanted to share and that is, we're also getting a lot of pressure on the education side, and rightly so, uh, you know that's what we're here for—to educate. But I'll continue to remind everyone that Maz, it's Maslow before blooms, we we cannot ask a child um, to be talking about learning uh, when their just basic human needs are not being met. And and so, you know, as an institution, I think this is the best reminder ever for our uh, communities that we're not just about the learning in a textbook or you know what happens in that classroom between a teacher and a child i mean what we provide 360 and wraparound services for kids is very powerful and and uh, valued um and and that needs to be uh taken into consideration in all of this and we have to remind people of that So none of us can create a plan, and I know there's, you know, 150 different plans that we came out with how to, you know, how our emergency distance learning plans look. But at the end of the day, we have a plan, and then we have to deploy our resources, our employees, and a lot of us are reimagining what that looks like because we're paying a lot of people that may not be working right now. But reimagining how they can be supporting students right now and then giving that one on one individual attention where it's needed for those students um, that have those needs. I think that's where we are uh, personally. And uh, I just think that uh, takes a lot of creativity and a lot of time. And so that's, that's where we have to be unapologetic of the emergency situation we're in and know that from where I sit, uh, our professionals, our staff are bringing their very best to work every day. And, and I just greatly appreciate that. So uh, it's, a, it's a challenge, uh, but I also uh, am inspired by all of the work that you're doing and all of the work that I'm seeing done every day for kids.
0: Awesome inspirational as always, and just a reminder for people, I'm gonna ask Dr. Van Alstall one follow-up question, then we're gonna to get to Michelle Smith McDonald talking about graduation ideas and what uh, is in the works as far as graduation, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, so just a quick reminder, and you can utilize the notes. Uh, Dr. Van Alstall, your thoughts. We heard uh, Kevin Gordon, great insights on the budget, looking ahead and kind of what it looks like. We're not exactly sure, all these demands. As a superintendent, how are you starting to think about the budget possibilities, reductions, getting messaging out there so it's not this shock? Um, we all know the economy is not doing well, but we're not sure with what stimulus. Any thoughts uh, for us or kind of what you're going through as, as we look forward to the budget and lack thereof that we may be expecting in the fall?
6: Yeah, I, I would I would reiterate what, what Kevin said, and that is, you know, on the back end, we we absolutely have to be looking at all of the options for where we're going to be able to make some cuts if we have to. And, you know, putting those, those uh, plans in place. However, um, actually beginning to act on them or speak publicly about them is premature at this time because we don't know the facts. And, you know, even presenting to the board, you know, our budget updates, you know, and the board looking at us like, well, Why aren't you talking about, you know, what's coming down the path and a reminder that, you know, our budgets are set on fact, um, not speculation. And, you know, it would be irresponsible not to be monitoring that and thinking about that. Um, But it is premature. And I hold out hope that um, what we do is directly tied to recovery of the economy. And I hope and believe that um, our legislators will see that when the time comes.
0: Thank you, Dr. Banalstall. Great point. Uh, We're all projecting and we want to and we need to, but also budgets are based on actual numbers in bank accounts and all that. So very important, great message as always. I'm sure I'll see you around soon. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Banalstall. Awesome job. All right, Michelle Smith McDonald, another awesome uh, guest speaker with us today. Everyone, you know, we're talking about school reopening, but we haven't even gotten out of this school year yet, so still lots to do, and the class of 2020 um, is on that list. We want to make sure we recognize them, give them their due diligence, and uh everything they deserve. uh, Just amazing work. So Michelle is the CALSPRA Bay Area Chair and the Director of Communications for the Alameda County Office of Education and she's been doing a lot of work, research, talking to people about graduation ideas, virtual and all that. So Michelle, we really appreciate you hopping on. I know you have a very busy day. Uh, Anything you can provide for us would be wonderful.
7: Yes, Zoom call number five of the day, I believe. And just in the interest of keeping it real, I just want to say Day three ponytail and the bowl of popcorn I had for lunch. So there you go. Um, Yeah, let's talk about happy things for a minute. Um, If we can consider a graduation online a happy thing, but I think it is because we've got to celebrate some kids. Um, So I just wanted to, I wanted to thank everybody who, um, took advantage of the tool that we created, and I wanted to give a shout out to um, the, my partners in thought who I approached, and so Jen DiRico, and Nathan, and Naomi, and Sam, and Ted, and we put a group of people together and started knocking around some of the ideas that were already floating, and my goal was not to tell you all anything you don't know, but to put it on paper so that it would be easy, accessible, and that you could start working on a game plan and have it sort of all in front of you, so The in the chat, I know there's a link. I think we've got some uh, link, some other places to the virtual graduation document. It's really a how-to. Knowing that you all have had such great ideas and have been sharing some of those, I've seen some things through Unsprout that were really great. And then I just wanted to kind of offer some thoughts about ways in which I know I've been thinking about this and conversations I've been having. So. One of the first points of feedback I got when I rolled this out to our county folks was their, um about cost and, you know, and using third party vendors and how much this was going to cost and how many high schools do you have, You're multiplying that cost by, you know, multiple high schools or eighth grade promotions. And one of the things that I was um, one of the other The next conversations I had was I started to reach out to some of our local ed foundations and I suggested that the districts do the same to see if those ed foundations had funding, perhaps to help with sponsoring a graduation ceremony, Um, having conversations with chambers of commerce who I know small businesses are really hurting now, but maybe they've got some larger donors who really want to attach themselves to something that's really a feel-good opportunity and maybe helping financially to support some of these ceremonies. Um, and so, you know, we've got, I, I've been working that angle a little. I worked local media angle a little to get out the word that these were gonna be expensive ser- scenarios for school districts and that there might be opportunities for business to come in. Um, And then one of the other things I had a a brain thought about, sorry, it's late in the day and I'm on call five, was about creating a special moment or a memory within that ceremony for the kids. And so this idea of bringing in a special guest to do a commencement speech, perhaps to drop it into your commencement speech, they'll have their valedictorian, they're perhaps a board member, perhaps, you know, their principal, but inviting somebody, you know, somebody famous if you can get them, somebody who might have a special connection, but surprising them with having somebody really pay tribute to this class and what they've been through. Um, So I'm at the risk of sharing this with a group of communicators. Um, I will share that I reached out to the Golden State Warriors and so in the Bay Area in the next couple of weeks, we're gonna have a commencement address with Curry, Clay Thompson, Steve Kerr and then we're going to offer that up to any school district that wants to drop that into their um, high, into their virtual graduation ceremony. And those three are going to pay tribute to the class of 2020. So an opportunity, perhaps regionally or locally, if you are in Northern California and you're interested in that video for your grad ceremony, shoot me a note. I'm going to make sure that people have it. But finding a moment or something that really they would remember from their grad ceremony. And so. Um, We did that and you know and what I've heard a lot is about keeping traditions and people um, we have a local high school that opens with a bagpiper every year. And so they were able to get the bagpiper. to. They're going to have the bagpiper come and do virtually do the bagpiping part of the ceremony. Obviously staff reading kids names, but you know, making sure that you're honoring your tradition as part of this template, I think is going to mean a lot to your kids. And then the other thing I've been talking to our districts about was I know a lot of folks surveyed their families and they asked them what they wanted. And in a shocking development, most of them want a live graduation ceremony and grandma to be sitting in the stands and they they want what they always have expected and what they've always gotten. And what's difficult is when you ask people and then you aren't able to deliver on the thing that you asked them about, just being really thoughtful about communicating why you've landed, where you've landed, what your limitations were. It's just, I think it's a difficult dance. When you ask somebody, what do you want? And they say, I want this and you can't deliver it. That's a communications challenge that I think people are going to have to be really thoughtful about working through. And I got a lot of nodded heads from a lot of um, school district people who said, yeah, that's true because, you know, you've asked. And so I think when people ask, they assume that you'll be able to, deliver what it is that they told you they want so um that's my i know there are great ideas out there and i hope we're still we keep sharing them on the listserv i've seen everything from high school football stadiums who were turning on their lights in the evenings in the honor of the class of 2020. I think I saw that one in an article off the NSPR board. I mean, there's just some really cool ideas happening out there. I had one district who did cap and gown pickup and the teachers lined the street. And they had this huge line with the signs and teachers had funny signs like you need a haircut and pajama pants aren't clothes. And, like just kind of really like sort of, you know, sen- you know, having a great sense of humor with the kids. But I, you know, there's a, this is a big loss. And I think as we get closer to graduation season, our families are really going to be feeling it. So, um, keeping that in mind and, you know, you are all, um, amazing communicators and amazing planners. And so I never pretended to know anything you don't know, but I just hope that by putting it down in one place that just saved everybody a little time.
0: We greatly appreciate the fact that you did that, Michelle. We love the update. I think you're so right about we do a lot of these surveys. We want input. It's really important to you know, be careful how you ask and providing context because if you just ask, how do you want it done without any context, you'll get, you'll get some ideas, but those aren't doable ideas. So that's a very good point. Uh, also utilizing the listserv to continue with those ideas. Thank you to everyone on here that's contributing to the listserv putting out those ideas. That's why CalSPR is so valuable as the listserv. So we're not having meetings like this or whatever. We can see the documents, resources. We don't all have to recreate the wheel. We can do other things. So continue to utilize the listserv. I love your warriors idea. And what I really like about it is that you made it generic. So it's not to a high school, you know, Monavista Mustangs, it's to all of them in the Bay Area and they can all utilize that. I think that's a genius idea. They get more PR coverage and spread and more schools can utilize that and get that emotional connection with the Warriors who are the greatest team in the NBA. So that is just another reason, even though I'm in Lakerland, land, uh, great idea. Uh, tell the Warriors we said hello. Uh, so that is awesome. Appreciate those ideas. Just in closing, um, we know now is such a great time to utilize storytelling through social media but also media relations in general this is the media is looking for stories um good stories and we're seeing so many stories of hope and inspiration ingenuity creativity from our students teachers and staff don't forget to utilize the media to help share those stories to help advocate for public education and really get the importance of what we're doing out there. So the media is looking for stories. Now is a great time to capitalize on sending these things to the media uh, as well. It's also a great opportunity as we go through this to advocate for yourself, getting a seat at the table, seat on cabinet executive team. You know, Frank Kwan, a former councilor president, had a good idea, write down what we're all doing right now because I forgot what I did three days ago. But when this comes up again, we're talking budget cuts and why you should be on cabinet, you're going to have a long, long list of what you've done to help your school district and advocate for your students and staff when this is all said and done. So crisis often brings opportunity and this is a great opportunity for yourselves, schools or students. So keep up the advocating and all of these stories that we're doing for our individual school districts. Remember, those are stories for public education and everything that's happening, the meals, the social, emotional, the mental health support, the accommodations we're doing. Uh, that's the power of education. I think people are really starting to get the reminders of just how important schools are in our communities, and our society. So I know that's not lost on you guys, but just a good reminder of the opportunity we have to share our great stories happening in public education. As we started this, life's not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning how to dance in the rain. And you guys are doing amazing, amazing work doing that and accommodating everyone. Don't forget to follow the CALSPRA social media. We'll continue the conversation, Twitter and Facebook, and then the Listserv. We'll send this link out with the recording in case people hopped off early and anything else. But again, I appreciate the CALSPRA executive board for enabling this to happen. Just awesome. And thanks for everyone for contributing helping out in the listserv, answering questions, and being there for each other. It's a great group and very appreciative of you guys. So thank you so much. If you need anything, please reach out to us. We're here for you and have a great rest of the day. I know we'll be talking soon and maybe have another opportunity like this uh, going forward. Thank you guys. Hi, this is Rob Wiltsy, founder of Schoolshine. We make custom professional quality videos for school districts. We want to make sure your district has the very best video content possible and the best content strategy so you can get the most out of your videos. So check out some samples at SchoolShine.org and schedule a call with us today to learn how you can take your videos to the next level.
1: That's SchoolShine.org. Do you wish that creating and sending email newsletters took less time and effort? Would you like more parents to tune in and read your district's newsletter? If so, try MarketVolt the email newsletter platform tailored for districts like yours. With MarketVolt, it's simple to create newsletters that parents will read. MarketVolt automatically customizes your newsletter to match each parent's interest. With MarketVolt, you can create better newsletters with less headache and less hassle. Visit BetterK12Newsletter.com to learn what MarketVolt can do for you. That's BetterK12Newsletter.com, powered by MarketVolt. Hey there, PR
2: experts. Blackboard here. School PR is about telling the story of your students, your teachers, and your school community. From websites and mass notifications to mobile presence and classroom engagement, Blackboard has the tools that you need. And whether you're a one-person shop or part of a bigger communication team, we can help you reach more people more effectively in less time. Thank you for all the work you do in improving education and helping students succeed. And thanks for letting us be a part of it.